Please be seated. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Gracie and I drove down to Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church to attend the gathering. The gathering is a, a support group for friends who are experiencing Alzheimer's and dementia. A and we had the, a great time uh, helping them to make Valentine's cards to give to their family and friends. You know, Valentine's Day is coming up this week, so we talked about love. Now, I shared with them of a few comments that children have made when they were asked the question, what is love? Well, one five-year-old boy named Carl said that love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and they smell each other. A seven-year-old by the name of Noel said that love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and he wears it every day. And five-year-old Elaine commented that love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Now, I like that one. And then eight-year-old John said love is like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. Well, Webster's Dictionary describes love as a strong feeling of affection and concern toward another person, as that arising from kinship or a close friendship. You know, over the past few weeks, before the Lenten season begins on Ash Wednesday, Reverend Henderson has been leading us in a study of the Gospel of John, sharing stories about various encounters with Jesus. Well, this week, I want to continue the encounters theme and talk a little bit about a story that's found in the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave. Now, Lazarus was a special friend that Jesus loved dearly. It's a fascinating story with a lot of twists and, and turns. Uh, but before we read God's word, please pray with me. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. That as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, that we may hear it with joy. And that we would hear what you would say to us today and apply it to our lives. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 11 verses 32 through 44. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. 
it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, to, said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, some of you may remember me telling you that ministry was, is, was and is a second career for me. For the first nine and a half years that Gracie and I were married, I worked in a factory in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, it was during that time that God called me into the ministry, and eventually we moved to Dubuque, Iowa, where I attended Dubuque Theological Seminary, and later Austin Theological Seminary, where I received my doctorate. Now, I recently celebrated the 42nd year of my ordination as a Presbyterian pastor. Now, the first church that I served after graduating from seminary was a federated church in Lincoln, Iowa. Now, the Salem Church of Lincoln was a church where half of the members were Presbyterian and half of the members were United Church of Christ. And for 11 years, I had joint pastoral membership in both denominations. Now, one of the first persons that we met when we arrived in Lincoln was a wonderful older woman by the name of Hazel Jip. Now, her family once owned the local general store where they sold lots of fabric and, and sewing supplies. And in fact, at one time, they were known throughout the area as the best place to find any kind of fabric that you could think of. Well, when we arrived in Lincoln, the general store was closed, and Hazel was retired, and in her late 70s or early 80s. Now, Hazel was a wonderful Christian lady. When we first moved to Lincoln, she invited our family to the house, to her house, so that she could tell us all of the good things about the people in Lincoln before we learned all of the bad things. Now, that was Hazel. We grew to love her dearly. When she died, we were heartbroken. Gracie and I both had to hold back the tears as we talked to her family in preparation for what would be my first memorial service after graduating from seminary. And as I sat at my desk writing down my memories of her, I had trouble holding back the tears. I knew that I would miss her in years to come and, and that I would always remember this wonderful, compassionate, thoughtful woman. I still remember her vividly to this very day. 
Now, since that first memorial service, I've had the honor of officiating at over 700 memorial services over the 42 years of ministry. Now, and I've learned how different people deal with grief differently. Grief can be difficult for all of us, and all of us respond to it differently. But there's one thing that we all have in common, and it's the fact that it always hurts to lose someone that we love and care for in our lives, whether it's a spouse or a child, a family member, or a friend. It hurts. Jesus himself knew what grief feels like when his dear friend Lazarus died. Even though the scriptures tell us that it was for the glory of God, it still hurt. John tells us in chapter 11, verse 35, that it hurt so much for Jesus that Jesus wept. That's the shortest verse in the whole Bible. But it says a lot about Jesus. Now, I have a picture hanging in my home office that I've entitled The Compassion of Christ. You can, can see it on the screen. Uh, if it was clear enough, you would be able to see the tears in Jesus' eyes. Now, I sincerely believe that Jesus feels our pain. That when we hurt, when we're grieving, where, when the pain in our lives seems almost too, too much to bear, Jesus is hurting too. When we cry, Jesus is crying with us. It's sad to say that in today's world, there's this tendency to assume that, that emotions are a negative thing. More specifically, that, that crying is a weakness and something that's meant to be hidden, controlled, or suppressed. But really, tears have a special kind of power, the power to cleanse our souls and our hearts and yet often tears are seen as a form of weakness. Tears have the power to heal us when the pain is almost too much to bear. Jesus knew that fact when he was faced with the death of his dear friend Lazarus. The raising of Lazarus is the last of Jesus' miracles. It's also the clearest sign of who Jesus was and is the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. What I hope that you'll get from this sermon this morning is this. It's a promise. If Jesus can raise Lazarus from the dead, then he can work a miracle in you and change your life forever if you only trust him. I know that's true because he's changed my life. I encourage you to take the time this week to study the entire story that's found in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 46. Now, let me share with you just a few important points that may help you understand what was happening, happening in this story. The story begins with the first verse of chapter 11. Now, a certain man was sick. His name was Lazarus from Bethany, 
of the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, point number one. Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, was sick. A certain man was sick, named Lazarus. Now, John assumes that you know the relationship. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were three three of Jesus' closest friends. He stayed in their home when he visited Jerusalem. It was his spiritual hangout. He enjoyed their hospitality. He cherished their friendship. And while he had a lot of followers, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were three of his favorite followers. Now that gives you a glimpse into the human nature of Jesus. Jesus had some very close friends. We all know what that's like to have close friends. Call it chemistry or good vibes or Sometimes we, we come into contact with someone that, who awakens our spirit and, and we feel drawn close to them in a special way. And we become lifelong friends. Now, why would Jesus be any different? He had close friends. Well, John goes on to tell us that Lazarus was ill. Now, that's an understatement. He was near the point of death. So Mary and Martha sent for Jesus to come at once. Well, Jesus was laying low. And when he got the message, you know, he had had just had a run-in with the Pharisees in Jerusalem. And they threatened to stone him to death or have him arrested. Well, nevertheless, Jesus got the message. The one you love is deathly sick. Point number two. Jesus loved his friend, Lazarus. Now, can you hear the urgency in that? The one you love is dying. It's a plea for help. You would have thought that that Jesus would have dropped everything that he was doing and rushed back to Bethany. But no, John says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed two more days in the place where he was. So if Jesus knew that Lazarus was deathly sick, why did he wait for two more days? Well, he told his disciples the reason, and it was this. In verse 4, he says, this sickness isn't going to end in the death of Lazarus, but it's for the glory of God. And God's son may be glorified by it. Point number three, Lazarus' sickness was for the glory of God. Now, if you're paying attention, that should raise an important question for you. But didn't Lazarus die? Jesus said that the sickness wasn't going to end in death, but Lazarus died. Why did Jesus say that Lazarus wouldn't die? Well, because Jesus knew that this was for the glory of God. He waited because he's the Lord of life. He's not bound by time or space. Disease and death pose no threat to him. And the purpose of Lazarus' sickness and death was for the glory of God. 
Two days later, when he finally decided to go, the disciples tried to stop him. And they said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were trying to stone you there. Why are you going back again? So point number four, Jesus' life was in danger if he went back to Jerusalem. In a sense, they were right because they knew that Jesus' life would be in danger if he went back to Jerusalem. But again, that wasn't what Jesus was concerned about. Jesus was concerned about completing the mission that God had given him. That's all he was concerned about. You know, it's easy to get so caught up in, in what others would have us think, say, and do. To be faithful is to seek God's will for your life and to follow the leading of the Spirit and let the chips fall where they may. Well, Jesus wanted to go back to Jerusalem even, even if it cost him his life. And so he told his disciples, Lazarus is dead. I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. Nevertheless, let's go to him. Well, just as the healing of the blind man gave Jesus an opportunity to demonstrate the power of God, so too Lazarus' death gave Jesus the opportunity to demonstrate the power of God to raise the dead to a new life. And that brings us to point number five. The death, death of Lazarus was an opportunity to show the power of God. God doesn't cause bad things to happen to innocent people. But God can use what happens to us to bless us in unexpected ways. If we trust him, God can use those as an opportunity to show the power that God has in our lives. You see, sometimes trials come into our lives so that you and I have the opportunity to show those around us what faith in God can do if we only trust and believe. When Jesus got to, to their home, Martha rushed out and she greeted him. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, can you hear the anger in her words? If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. What took you so long? My friends, when tragedy strikes, when a loved one dies, when you experience disappointment and firsthand loss, it's only natural to lash out and to ask, why, Lord, why? Jesus responds by saying, your brother will rise again. Martha took this to mean that Lazarus would rise again at the resurrection on that last day. And that was the common belief among the Jews. But that's not what Jesus meant at all. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will still live, even if he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then Jesus asks Martha a question. Point blank. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? 
Martha said, yes, Lord. I have come to believe that you are the Christ, God's son, he who comes into the world. And that's where our passage for this morning picks up. Because Martha went back to the house and she got Mary. And Mary came out to greet Jesus. And she said the same thing that Martha said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. This time, Jesus reacted differently. John says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews weeping who came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They took him to the tomb where Lazarus was buried. And that's when John says, Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. Now consider the significance of those two words. Jesus wept. If ever you need permission to grieve, it's in that short verse. The verb used here literally means to quake. The sense of it is, is this, that Jesus didn't just simply get teary-eyed. He shook with emotion from the depths of his soul. Now, if you've ever wept uncontrollably and in anguish, you know what that feels like. Faith in God and the pain of separation and loss often go hand in hand and result in uncontrollable tears, uncontrollable pain. Point six, then, is Jesus gives us permission to grieve. In his book, Don't Take Away My Grief, Doug Manning tells of a young couple whose 18-month-old daughter got seriously ill and was taken to the hospital. She, she was put in an oxygen tent and she was given antibiotics, but despite everything that the doctors did, she died less than an hour later. Well, when Manning got there, the mother was crying hysterically. He was a young pastor at the time, and he tried to console her, and he said, Mary, you've got to get hold of yourself. He said the young woman looked at him straight in the eyes and said with fire in her voice, don't take my grief away from me. I deserve it, and I'm going to have it. He said he learned a lot from that experience about how important grief is to the healing process. So he writes, grieving is as natural as crying when you are hurt, sleeping when you are tired, eating when you are hungry, or sneezing when your nose itches. It's God's way of healing a broken heart. When Jesus was confronted with the death of his close friend, he wept. John goes on to say that Jesus went to the tomb, and when he got there, he asked that the stone be taken away, and Martha objected. She said, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see God's glory? They rolled the stone away. Jesus looked to God and prayed. 
And then he called out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out. His body was still wrapped in the burial cloths. Jesus said, free him and let him go. Prior to going to seminary, Gracie and I attended Clifton Heights Presbyterian Church in Des Moines, Iowa. And during our time there, we both sang in the church choir. And occasionally, members of the choir would attend the praise gathering. The praise gathering was a three-day event that, that took place in Indianapolis, Indiana, that was sponsored by Bill and Gloria Gaither. Now, Bill and Gloria Gaither are the couple who wrote there's something about that name and, and because he lives. Now, the praise gathering brought together contemporary Christian singers uh, from all over the country. And one of those artists was a man who simply went by the name Carmen. Now, Carmen wrote a song about Lazarus. And he imagined Lazarus sitting in heaven talking to Abraham, Moses, Isaac and others and he was enjoying his heavenly home and this conversation that he was having when Jesus called him out of the grave by name and brought him back from the dead now whenever I hear that song I wonder if Lazarus got a little bit upset about leaving heaven and having to go back to earth to suffer and die again maybe and maybe not. Who knows? But we do know that Mary and Martha and all of their friends rejoiced to have him back again. After all, it was a miracle and a clear display of God's power. But it was also an unmistakable sign that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. Now, I wonder how you and I would react Seeing the dead raised once again to life. One Christian author put it this way. When Jesus attends a funeral, the dead don't stay dead for very long. John says this. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. For the Pharisees and their henchmen, it was the beginning of the end for this man, Jesus. But for those who believed, it was the beginning of a new life. This encounter with Jesus changed their lives forever. Now, earlier in the sermon, I said that this story contains a promise. And that promise is, if Jesus can raise Lazarus from the dead, then he can grant you a new beginning too, as well. All you have to do is trust in him. Now I want to close by saying this. Most of us would give anything to have just a few more moments of time to spend with a loved one who's died, whether it's a spouse, a parent, a family member, or a dear friend to tell them how much we love them and miss them in our lives. Everyone who witnessed what Jesus did that day had the opportunity to do that. 
But they also had to make a choice to believe that Christ was the one he said he was, who he said he was, or to reject him. We have to make that same choice when we come face to face with the miracle of God's love and grace. Do we believe it or not? Do we believe that Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah, our Lord and our Savior? I pray that the story of Lazarus will convince you that our God is a God of miracles. But more than that, that God's promises are for you and me. And God always, always keeps his promises. That's the hope that we cling to. That's God's word. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. Please pray with me.